Would you open up your Bibles to Colossians 3? We're looking at verse 16 from Colossians 3. And keep your finger there, because we'll also turn back to a couple of other passages in the book of Colossians. Colossians is an interesting book, uh, because in a lot of ways it's kind of a mirror of the book of Ephesians. Um, I tend to think that uh, Paul actually wrote Colossians while he was in Ephesus. Uh, there's evidence that they've um, communicated back and forth. They're only about a two or three days journey away from each other. Ephesus is on the coast and Colossae is uh, further inland. There's also the book of Philemon, uh, which Philemon was a member of the church at Colossae. And so it's very likely that these two books were carried together to Colossae, one to the entire church and one to uh, this one man, Philemon. So there's a lot of connections here between Ephesus and Colossae, between the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and the book of Colossians. But there are a couple unique things about um, the book of Colossians. Primarily, the book of Colossians is a really high Christology. The book of Colossians extols the person of Christ above everything else. And in particular, Paul's uh, aim is to separate a commitment to Christ from a commitment to pagan gods on one hand and a commitment to uh, the Jewish law and Jewish system on the other. He's trying to pave a new way and he said, don't commit to these religious systems. Instead, commit to the person of Christ. And so in chapters one and two, he's making this argument. He's building out a Christology of who this person is, of who Christ is. And then in chapters three and four, he's applying it. So we're in the application section. Again, this has lots of mirrors. And in fact, the verse we're looking at today has an analog over in Ephesians. But there's some unique things about the Colossians version of this as Paul pulls from the doctrine that he's unpacked in chapters 1 and 2. So let's pray together and we'll read. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you fill us with your spirit and open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to receive what you have for us this morning. Would you illuminate your word and help give us understanding in order that our lives may be changed and our hearts may be sanctified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read chapter 3, verse 16 of Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's kind of funny. I, I get made fun of often because I, I have a math degree. Um, obviously, I don't do that much anymore. Um, but I, I get asked all the time to do math in my head. Like people will come across a math problem or measuring something, building something. And they say, well, could you do this math for me? And I have to say, no, I'm pretty bad at that. And <laughs> it's kind of unexpected. Um, but you got to understand once you get into, when I was a junior or senior in college, uh, we stopped using regular numbers. We started using, I basically could count 1, 2, E. That was what I counted to. And so I can't do long division. I can't do math in my head very well. I used to be able to. But it's, it's this thing that we, it's a trap we all fall into, where we've learned something, we've developed a skill, and theoretically we're building off of what we've gone before. But so often we forget like the simple things that we should have known beforehand. So today we're going to look at something really basic. 
something that on the surface is, is very simple to understand, and I think that it is simple to understand. But I think it's important for us to refresh and do kind of a Christianity 101. This is a very simple call that Paul gives us, a simple call for Christian life in light of the person of Christ. And on some level, it's very easy to understand, but I think that often it's, it's difficult for us to keep track of that and to hold on to the basic call. And the basic call is this. The basic call of the believer is to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or dwell in you fully. So what does it mean? What does it mean to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Well, first of all, we can talk about the word of Christ. The word of Christ, this phrase, only appears once in the New Testament right here. Uh, We have other examples of the word of God that appears frequently. You also have a few examples of the word of the Lord, which is a, a, a similar phrase to the word of Christ. Normally when we hear the word of the Lord, Lord is referring to Christ. And in fact, some later manuscripts that have been edited a little bit actually have the word of the Lord because it seems to be an, an adjustment to make it fit with the rest of the scripture. But I think Paul is doing something uh, really precise here. He's trying to point us back to the person of Christ. So what he means by the word of Christ, certainly he means the word of God. Certainly he means the scriptures. Certainly he means um, the, the whole Old Testament that has been written that points to Christ. But also he's talking about specifically the gospel and the words of Christ. He's talking about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. The redemption and salvation we have in Jesus. And he's talking about the words that Christ himself spoke. So the word of Christ, to use this phrase, has an intensity about it that we don't find in other phrases because he's pointing specifically to the person of Christ and his work. So this word, the word of Christ, the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we're we're called to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. I think maybe fully is a better translation. Um, And this is a reference back to something Paul is doing earlier. So if you would flip with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Listen to what he says. For in him, that is in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, the church, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule authority. So this is in the doctrine section. What Paul is doing in Colossians 3.16 is pointing back to something he's already unpacked. To be filled with the word of Christ is to live out a reality that we've already been united with Christ. We've already been filled with Christ passively by the, the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, but now we're called to an active reception of the word of Christ in our lives. This is also a collective reality. This is not just for the individual. This is for the whole church. The whole church together as a body of believers is called to live out the word of Christ, to be filled with it, to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. So there's two realities here. First of all, if we want a body of believers that are filled with the word of Christ, we first must also be filled individually with the word of Christ. We come together as a body of believers who have been united with Christ. 
In our union with Christ, our faith in him is what unites us together in his body and allows us to dwell in his word as his word dwells in us. So the question for you is, are you filled with Christ? Are you united with Christ? We have two more commands that we're going to look at now, but those commands do us no good if we're not first filled personally with the word of Christ. So that's what it means for the word of Christ to dwell in us fully, to dwell in us richly. And then Paul gives us two commands. One is horizontal and one is vertical. In your notes, I've, I've rearranged the verse a little bit. Sometimes um, the translation is perfectly fine, but sometimes it's difficult to get Paul's style out in English. And you can see what I've got here in the notes is kind of clunky uh, relative to, to what we have in, in the verse. Um, but we basically see two commands in addition to letting the word of Christ dwell in you fully. Paul qualifies that with two separate commands, to teach and admonish one another, and he gives two qualifiers for those, and to sing, and then he gives two qualifiers for those. So first, let's look at the horizontal aspect. Christ dwells in us as we teach and admonish one another. So the central command here is teaching and admonishing, and again, Paul is pointing back to something that he's already said. The two words are didasko and utheteo, those are, these are common words for teaching and admonishing. And if you flip back to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul uses these two words. He says, Him we proclaim, that's Jesus Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, admonishing everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So you see the parallel. Paul has, is explaining his apostolic call earlier in chapter 128. And now in chapter 3, we have that apostolic call applied to the body of believers. Not primarily to individuals, but to the body of believers. And the apostolic call to teach and admonish, it's not something that comes from above and gets passed down in, in a sort of domineering way but it's something that's organic in the body of Christ that we teach and admonish one another. So what exactly are we teaching? First of all, we're teaching all wisdom. A lot of times we think of wisdom as uh, just kind of being smart, right? A wise person is someone that knows a lot. But wisdom, more specifically, is truth applied. Truth applied to life, truth that points toward goodness. So we should be spurring one another on to living out the truth that we confess. And how do we do that? We do that through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we see truth producing goodness in all wisdom and truth producing beauty. These are the three transcendentals traditionally. And a lot of times we get that backwards. We think uh, we, can, we can apply uh, goodness and beauty without truth. We think we live, in, we live in a secular society that says we can have a standard of morality without a standard of truth. We live in a society that, that values uh, beauty without the standard of truth to undergird it. This is what modern art is. Uh, modern art attempts to flip this such that beauty precedes truth. And, and the result is that... Uh, it's not very beautiful. <laughs> modern art is, you know, there's some good modern art out there. But unless it's grounded to truth and, and grounded 
to the truth of the gospel, it can't uh, effectively show forth beauty. And it becomes, it's, it's offensively unoffensive is what it is. To be disconnected from truth and attempt to show beauty is offensively unoffensive. So the truth must guide our beauty. The truth must guide our goodness. We live out of the truth and we teach out of the truth and we sing out of the truth. And in fact, there's a progression here from psalms to hymns to spiritual songs, right? The psalms are the inspired scripture. Then we develop out into hymns and spiritual songs. And in fact, a lot of our hymns, if you really look at them, are actually just paraphrases of psalms. And stylistically, they're mirroring the psalms. And so our beauty comes from truth. So for you, practically, positively, find ways to beautify the truth. Start singing in your personal devotions. It may be uncomfortable, right, if you're by yourself. But start singing in your personal devotions. Start singing in your small groups, and your families. Learn a psalm. Learn a hymn. Use, use your hymnal devotionally. And, and most importantly, sing in church. If you haven't been singing in church, if you haven't been singing joyfully in church, you need to repent. You're in sin. This is a command from God. Singing is a command from God. We need to obey. If it's hard, if it's uncomfortable, do it anyway. If you say I'm a, if you say I'm a bad singer, sing badly. This is, this is a command from God. And it's, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not natural for us. Now, it's very easy for us to sing a song in a football game. But this is the, the truth of the gospel. And if we believe the truth of the gospel, it should flow out of our hearts. Dads especially. If you want your children to love worship, if you love, want your children to love Holiness, sing, and sing loudly. If, if you ask me, the, the number one reason that I sing in church today, you know, I, I've written papers on this. I, I could give you a, a good biblical argument, a theological argument. And obviously, this is all ultimately the grace of God. But if I could point to one thing in my life as the reason that I sing in church today, it's because my dad sang in church when I was five. And so I beg you, for the sake of your children and your grandchildren, to sing today and sing loudly and joyfully. And if you have not been singing, if this isn't a part of your life, your chance today is to repent. Turn to Christ in faith and sing even this morning as we sing the next song after the sermon. You owe it not only to yourself, not only to God, but you also owe it to the people around you. We're called to teach and admonish one another. And if you're silent in worship, you're disobeying a command of God to encourage your brothers and your sisters in faith. So sing loudly, sing joyfully, and if you're a bad singer, sing badly. So that's the horizontal aspect. But there's also a vertical aspect. Christ dwells in us as we sing to the Lord. So singing serves a dual purpose. First of all, it's, it serves to teach, but also uh, singing helps us to praise God. There are two qualifiers here. First, we sing in grace. The ESV has thankfulness, and I think both of these are, are valid ways to understand this. It's kind of a twofold meaning. 
We sing in the grace of God who sustains us. The only reason we're able to sing, the only reason we're able to come here, the only reason we're awake in the morning and we have the physical ability, the spiritual ability to sing is through the grace of God. Because he has redeemed us from sin and death, because he sustains us and sustains our life. But we take that grace and we respond in grace and thankfulness. We, the grace that God gives us, we turn back and give to him. We give back to God what he has given us, and we sing to God in our hearts. Our outward sacrifice of praise must be tied to an inward spirit of faith. You think of Psalm 51, verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart of God you will not despise. So it's great if we sing outwardly. It's great if we obey outwardly, but we also must have an inward heart of faith attached to it. And it's not one or the other, right? God despises outward obedience without inward faith. And in fact, that is disobedience. But God also tells us, the book of James says, faith without works is dead. A faith that's only inward, that never flows out into the world, is no faith at all. And so we need both the inward heart of faith and the outward heart of obedience. An obedient heart is full of grace and that overflows in singing and in joy. We need both. So examine your heart as you worship. Choir members especially, musicians especially, if you're up here leading music at any point, examine your heart as you worship. What's your motivation? Is it uh, the, the music itself? Are you worried about missing notes? Are you uh, worried about being embarrassed? If our focus and our heart is not aimed toward God and our worship, we are not truly worshiping God. We're only heaping up empty praise. So sing in your hearts with grace and thankfulness to God. That's the vertical aspect. We sing teaching and admonishing one another. We sing praising to God. And when we do that, that's the mechanism whereby the word of Christ dwells in us. That's how we're filled with the word of Christ. When we pursue truth and beauty and goodness and we value the truth of the gospel, let it overflow in song and righteousness in our lives. None of us is above the basics. <laughs> we all sin in our failure to meet God's most simple expectations. Singing in church is not that hard. The commands of God, the simple commands of God are not that hard to understand and to grasp. But so often, these simple things are what we fail to do. Where God tells us to let the word of Christ fill us, we fill our hearts with other things. We fill our hearts with idols. And so the solution is to turn to God in faith and repentance, to offer our hearts to God, to offer our bodies, our whole bodies, including our lungs and our mouths, to God, bless our trust in Christ, and to live out our union with him in beauty. This is our chance. We're about to sing uh, a song. 
So I encourage you to sing loudly and joyfully because it's our call as Christians to teach and admonish one another and to praise God. And this is his prescribed way of doing it. So as you sing, reflect on God's grace and giving us his words of life. Reflect on God's grace and giving us the word of Christ and giving us his church, giving you uh, children and families that you're called to shepherd. And sing loudly and joyfully to your God who saved you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.